You are listening to The State of Sustainability, a podcast that highlights sustainability initiatives throughout the state and develops a casual conversation about environmental stewardship that the average person can understand and replicate. I'm your host, Caleb Powell. And I'm your co-host, Ashley Cabrera. And today, for today's podcast, this month's podcast, we are going to take a trip through the Sustainable Spirits program in Tennessee. Now, when you hear Sustainable Spirits, you might be thinking, ghosts? That's not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the spirits industry. So um, we have a great guest today. Actually, we have a few guests, but um, the first guest um, is actually the brain behind this program. Um, and then a little bit later on, we're going to talk to one of the businesses that was actually our pilot member, one of our pilot members of the program, um, and how they've incorporated sustainability into their daily operation. So yeah, this industry is really. Uh great to highlight and it has potential for positive environmental impacts just because of the large amount of energy and water and everything that goes into making these. Yeah, so if I didn't allude to this earlier, the spirits industry is um, distilleries, breweries, wineries, and wine or wine growers. Um, and we have a lot of those in the state. Uh, Tennessee, you know, is known for its Tennessee whiskey. Um, and then also there's a lot of craft brewing um I guess, craft brewers that are starting up. And so I would like to um, introduce our guest, Mark Valencia. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing so great to have you on here. Um, I'm super excited to be here. So we want to talk about your, your program, your your brainchild, uh, the Sustainable <laughs> Spirits program. Mark is a avid um, home brewer. He's been brewing beer for a long time, and so he knows the ins and outs of the, the process, um, what goes into it, and how energy and water intensive that the process can be. So he um, started to work for the state a little bit before me um, and brought the idea around, and, and now we have a, a program that's that's running. We have four? four we have five members uh, now. Oh, five Four's members. Five. So, um, and it was, you know, he, he put a lot of work creating the program and and getting it up and going and we've had a lot of, of positive um, publicity publicity and coverage over it so we're hoping that this year 2020 is gonna gonna really jump start um, the membership for the program and, and we're gonna get a lot of the, more of these breweries wineries and distilleries in, in the program so I'm gonna read a small little amount of uh, Mark's bio just so you know um, a little bit of his background, and then we'll get started talking about the program. So Mark's an environmental scientist with our office, the Office of Policy and Sustainable Practices. His prior experience includes surface and groundwater conservation and monitoring, <coughs> monitoring indoor, outdoor, uh, air quality, waste reduction and recycling, and native plant conservation. He is from uh, San Bernardino, California, uh, moved here. What, how, how long ago? Like two and a half About years? two and a half years ago, yeah. Yeah, and so we're super excited to have him here. I can't wait to take a trip out to California. I've never been there before, so I'm going to have uh, Mark bring yeah, me out there down. Have and, a good time. and show me a show. But he uh, actually used to work for Southern California Native American tribe doing a lot of their sustainability and um, um, environmental work. So he's got really, really cool stories that um, I really enjoy getting to, to listen to. So we will jump straight into it. Um, we talked about a little bit about what the Sustainable Spirits program is. Um, if Mark, do you just want to go ahead and, and sort of talk about... Yeah, I can just jump in there. First, I did want to say thank you for inviting me here. I think this is podcast number 10. Yes. So I've been walking by this this y'all studio <laughs> 10 times, just lingering, looking through the window, hoping I get well, invited. And, you, and you're lucky, because this is the clearest podcast we've ever had. If y'all can hear a difference, it's because Caleb got I specifically waited until we got <laughs> technology to make my voice sound a lot better. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, I can jump right in. Uh, I can give you a quick little overview of the program. Uh, I can just start off by reading you this little mission statement created for the program, but... Uh, Tennessee Sustainable Spirits is a voluntary program that assists wineries and wine growers, breweries, distilleries, breweries and distilleries in increasing sustainability by promoting best practices, providing technical assistance, and developing relationships. So overall what that means is we developed this program out of the Green Star Partnership. I know we, we discussed that before. Uh, the Green Star Partnership is originally designed for large manufacturing facilities and helping them to improve their sustainable practices on the non-regulated side. We were hoping to 
start tapping into some of the smaller organizations and businesses within Tennessee, the difficulty with that is not every business is alike. And what we've found out through the Green Star Partnership, uh, if you're not a large manufacturer, it's hard to find that uniformity. So we looked into, you know, the spirits industry where it's quite, it's across the board similar in the aspects of, of producing spirits. And we thought it'd be a good transition into some of the smaller businesses and improving their sustainable practices. With that, we developed a membership program. It's free for any brewery, winery, and distillery within the state to join. They just have to meet certain sustainability requirements. And if they meet these requirements, they can become a member. We provide, you know, free technical assistance, free promotions, so they get designated according to the state of Tennessee as a, a sustainable spirits producer. And with that, you know, we're, we're helping the overall environment for the state. And at the same time, these producers are getting added value to their business in whether it's, you know, improving the environment or saving money or, you know, giving back to the community. So it's something that is full circle for us and it fits perfectly in line with, you know, the policy and sustainable practices. And I wanted to mention, so you know more about brewing, of course, than I do. And, and I'm... <laughs> Ashley, have you ever been to a brewery before? Nope. <laughs> we'll have to get you down. You can go do an audit with us. Um, so if you're unfamiliar, um, it takes a lot of energy to, because what you have to do essentially is cook um, your mash or your you know mixture and then get it up to a really high temperature and then cool it down, correct? Exactly. So whether you're doing, th- this is particular to the brewing and distilling side, you know, you're going to... What you're trying to do is extract sugar from grain or barley, you know, corn, whatever, whatever product you're using. And in order to do that, you know, you mix it with water and you heat it up to boiling temperatures. And after you get this this material or your mash heated up, then you have to cool it back down because you want to pitch a yeast. And yeast, they like to live in, you know, normal room temperatures that we, we all live in. But they're very particular to that. So if you pitch a yeast in boiling water, you're just going to kill it off and you're not going to be able to get these yeast to convert these sugars into alcohol. So it takes a lot of energy because you're heating up this product and then you need to get it cooled back down and add the yeast that you need to it. So there's a lot of energy in that. Uh, What separates brewing from distilling is that after you do that, uh, on the brewing side, you you extract the fermented uh, product from that mash and you have your beer. Well, when you go to the distilling side, you actually once again have to heat it up because you're trying to boil the water out of the product so you have a concentrated alcohol. ethanol yeah, alcohol yeah, yeah. product. So it's very energy intensive. Um, a lot of the producers in the state are doing a great job at it, but there's always ways you can save money. And, you know, as a home brewer, I like to say we are the cheapest hobbyist in the field of doing hobbies just because it's so expensive. So any way we can save money... We try that, and we try to, you know, apply some of those, but we apply new technologies, new concepts and ideas to the traditional brewing and distilling practice. You know, we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're now just getting to the point where we're looking at our overhead. You know, we're thinking about the environment. It, it's a mixture of blending some someone's passion for the art of brewing or distilling and also their passion for the environment. So that's what we're trying to merge. We're trying to merge those two and, passions. And, you know, it, it a lot of times... Reducing energy use, reducing water use, that saves money. So I mean, so I mean, they're mutually, you know, exclusive. I mean, not not exclusive, but I mean, they're like um, they go hand in hand. Hand in hand. That's what I'm saying. Because I like to I like to to sell it to the industry that they're going to save money in their overhead. When you know, maybe I'm secretly just trying to get them to improve sustainability. Yeah. Because. But you speak money to people. I mean, they're going to listen. Oh, they'll definitely listen. And, and that's what we try to show them. You know, we, we've created ratios for people in the industry, including wineries. We can show them. We could break it down to them to show them exactly how many gallons of water it takes them to produce a gallon of liquor, whether it's mm-hmm. beer, wine, whiskey, whatever you're trying to make. We can also do that on the electricity side and the gas side, and we can show them exactly how much it takes for them to produce that product. We're showing them gallons. We're showing them kilowatt hours. But we can also convert that to, to dollar signs. They can actually see exactly how much that's costing them. And we compare it. We can compare it to uh, national and international averages and show them where they stand amongst the producers throughout the world. And it, it's helpful to show them where they stand, and that's how we help 
create a ratio for them and set a baseline for them. So it's takes a lot of energy. Uh, so what are your current members? What are some of the techniques they're using to reduce their energy? Okay, usage? so we can jump into uh, all of our producers that we have. We have five members right now. Um, they're all doing something to save energy. It, it's part of the requirements and a lot of them involve reusing. So on the brewing side, you know how we were talking about we got to heat up this mash product, we boil it, then we got to cool it back down. Well, to cool it down, they usually use domestic water through a heat exchanger to cool off that hot product. Well, that domestic water is coming out of your faucet and it's going to come back out at a warmer product. Instead of dropping that down the drain, you can actually reuse that preheated water for your next batch so you don't have to spend as much energy trying to heat up your next batch. You already have a preheated uh, product ready to go. So uh, incorporating things like that can definitely help you save some energy. And, and the thing about that is you're not only saving energy, you're actually saving water as well. You're reusing these, this limited product mm -hmm. we have. So um, do you, or off the top of your head, can you name the, the our our members so far? Yeah, so members? our four pilot members when we first launched uh, July of last year, we had uh, Life is Brewing Mantra, we had Jackalope Brewing, their, their smaller location I think is off 8th Street, um, we have Keg Springs Winery, and we have Short Mountain Distillery. They are the four founding members of this program, and with them as being our pilots, they were instrumental in helping us shape this program to be something that's what the producers want or need, you know. This program is designed entirely for the industry, and we want to make sure it's something that's an added benefit for them and an added benefit for the environment. Um, in addition to that, we just signed on uh, Tennessee Distilling out of Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, we just signed them last week, and I'm talking to several breweries and distilleries right now. I don't want to give away their names until <laughs> we get them signed up. Definitely. And I think that you know those, those founding pilot members helped us really, like you said, build out because we're not trying to be somebody that goes in and, and is like, oh, you should be doing this. We want, we want people that um, we want to be an added, added bonus or added benefit um, where we're going to bring actually some, some of, of your knowledge, your sustainability knowledge and your brewing knowledge, um, a merger right there, and then um, saving money and saving um, you know, resources. Oh, definitely. We, I think you... you we all understand we're in the same office, but we're, we're not in the business of telling people what to do. Exactly. Yeah, for sure not. Our, our main goal is to improve sustainability, whether it's you know a private citizen, a private company, a nonprofit, school, restaurant, whatever it is. We're not here to tell you what to do. We just want to make sure we can make, we want to make things easier for you and things better for the environment. So Yeah, we're taking their knowledge along with ours and combining it instead, because like you said, we, I mean... Especially with my program, I don't know how to run a restaurant or a cafeteria of a school, you know, because I deal with food. So it's about taking their knowledge, combining it with mine, and figuring out what the Ex best solution is. Exactly. I love that, Ashley. We actually, <laughs> one, of, one of our members, you know, they came to me and they're like, you know, we want to do, we actually want to do solar, you know. But, you know, we, we'll go talk to a vendor and the vendor's going to tell us this is the best system ever, you know. They're trying to sell our product and... And it was a distiller I'm talking to. He's like, as a distiller, you know, I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to, you know, sign paychecks. I'm trying to make whiskey. I don't have the time to review these. And that's where we kind of want to step in and say, hey, we'll look at all these different options in a, in a non-biased way and give you the facts and figures straight up. We're, we're not going to tell you who's better than who, but we're going to show you what may be a better benefit for you. Yeah, yeah I mean, and... That's. I mean, we're we're sitting in our office every day. We can do that research. We can we can reach out and find the, the best solar company or the best the best applications for solar um, for their specific facility. Oh yeah, we we this is a large organization. TDEC is is full of experts, and we we like to leverage our our knowledge experts or you know mm -hmm. our experts in the field and we have plenty of them in here within the state to help us get there so it's not just me doing this you know this is a this is definitely a program that's built out of what we do as a state government organization yeah you may be listening and you don't have a distillery or a brewery or winery but if you drink any of those then i mean it's good to know that these 
businesses are actually doing things to make a less environmental impact on. Oh yeah, look for the logo. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. I said, if you know, if you have a favorite craft brewery that you go to or a distillery that you always go get your 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 whiskey or your your moonshine from or whatever, or your favorite winery, um, if they be looking, and if they don't have um, a little hang tag or they don't have um, our logo, our our Tennessee Sustainable Spirits logo. Yeah, if they don't have that, then maybe mention it to them. Say, have you heard of it? Uh, Check it out. Because we want, want, essentially, we want every winery, brewery, and distillery in the state to be a part of it. Um, Because that's the, I think that's the the most opportunity um, to make a change. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. Whether it's small or big, you know? Yeah. And so... I urge anyone to go to our webpage. You know, our webpage has a lot of resources listed on there, and it has sections that you know just, just someone just someone who enjoys spirits. You mm-hmm. know, beer, wine, liquor. Just go there. It'll tell you what to look for. You know, we've we've created some some uh, resources for you just to say, hey, you know, think about. You know, most customers nowadays are, are conscious about the environment, and you mm-hmm. know they like to find organizations that fall in line with their beliefs and ethics and we can provide some additional resources so people can do their own research and learn about what we're doing and what breweries, distilleries, and wineries can do to improve their practices. Yeah, and if, if you have some ideas of, of places that you know are doing some great things, we'd love to hear it. So reach out to us, hit us up on our Instagram page. Um, I mean, you can email us. I'm sure Mark wouldn't mind you emailing him. No, I, any questions I love. I love, you know, questions, I love ideas. You know, we want to make this program just get even better so that's that's our main goal is to improve what we're doing already well awesome uh mark thank you so much for taking thank you so much i'm glad i made episode 10 yeah (laughs) we got the new computer we got the the new year and we got uh the new program all right thanks mark bye all right we are here at short mountain distillery we have our guest billy kaufman here and i'm also joined with mark valencia uh you guys heard a little bit about the tennessee sustainable spirits program from him earlier in the episode so um yeah we're very excited to be here it has been raining a lot but we um were able to talk to billy and get um some time to come in to come visit the distillery and to talk about sustainability yeah definitely um the Short Mountain Distillery is located in Woodbury, Tennessee. They are one of the founding members of our Sustainable Spirits program. Uh, I'm really thankful for Billy and what he's done with the program and helped us shape it where it is today. Um, you know, just some of the work that they're doing here is incredible and it, it falls perfectly in line with the Sustainable Spirits program. So I'm really thankful for having such a great person on board to help us form the program that it is today. Yeah, I mean, so when you, when you talk about pilot, members um whenever we were building out the tennessee sustainable spirits program we wanted to make it beneficial for the distillers the brewers and the wineries or and wine or wine growers um and so the only way we could do that is by bringing in those people and um you know and so billy was one of our our first guys that we reached out to and um he really really helped us um build out the sustainable spirits program just just the things that are going on currently you know the organic whiskey the way that they they uh run their operations and where they are just in the state it, it's incredible what they're doing here and the fact that you know billy comes with a vast uh array of knowledge with what we're doing with sustainability i mean he was a former president of the tennessee uh, distillers guild which is super helpful you know he helped us get a better insight on what's going on in distilling in the state and we're just we're thankful for you being here, Billy. Thanks. Well, hey, um, it's uh, my pleasure to be a part of this. It uh, goes right in line with my values, and I love what y'all are doing. Yeah, and so I guess instead of talking about it, we'll let him talk a little bit about yeah. a short round distillery and 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 how it came about. Uh, well, uh, I moved to Tennessee almost twenty years ago now, and really, uh, my my drive was to have a farm and and get back to the land and uh, I was very interested in uh, agriculture, uh, organic farming, permaculture and uh, that I had no interest in in spirits <laughs> besides drinking them <laughs> and so uh, you know I actually uh, took a rotational grazing course at uh, this place called the farm 
which is in uh, Summertown. Summertown, yeah. Near they, you, they had like a, a a university there for a minute. Um, I think it's still maybe it's still there. But anyway, uh, uh, they had uh, they have classes there, and so I studied uh, rotational grazing. That really opened um, my mind up to a whole new way of looking at land and sustainability and and how human beings uh, should work with it. So I started uh, with my own home and um, and that is a farm. I live about an hour away from here and uh, and then started working with local farmers and and buying more land and getting into livestock, raising crops. And I pretty much realized that the guys who I was working with were not making any money with farming. No one was making money with the kind of farming we were doing. There was, uh, you know, some opportunities with uh, like community supported agriculture, that kind of thing. But basically everything you're putting into it is going, you know, you're not making a profit. You're just yeah. putting all your profits right and back in. a very in. sustainable business. Mm-hmm. It's not a sustainable business <laughs> unless you have a lot of expendable income. And, uh, you know, these guys who I, I was farming with were all uh, bootleggers and shiners on the side. Cannon County was still a dry county back then. So, uh, so there was a big market, and we started uh, talking about moonshine and making money with moonshine and to me it was just another agricultural uh, endeavor you know you're really you're taking something from the land and and turning it into a a product and um, the byproduct is a animal feed so I I I didn't see anything morally wrong with it Um, and I thought about doing it illegally for a long time but uh, as uh, as things got bigger and bigger, I bought a bigger farm, and um, it just became too risky. And lucky for me, the laws changed, and I saw a path to to like a legal way of doing it. And that and that's how I got here. So um, so what was the question? <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think that's great. You 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 definitely gave us a good background on where it started, and and nowadays, you know you're in this industry where, where, you know, whiskey production has taken off. And the thing that's, to me, you know, on, on the side, besides the quality of the great whiskey you guys are making is, you know, you have that focus on sustainability. Mm. And so how, how did you think when I first approached you in regard to the Sustainable Spirits program, was that something that you were interested in or did it take a little bit yeah. of me <laughs> bugging you? Well, I got to tell you, I feel like, for some reason in Tennessee, um, sustainability and organic certification and all these things have become politicized. Mm-hmm. And I think what I am trying to do is get people to realize uh, that on the most simple level um, that organic products products that don't have chemicals in them weren't made with organic weren't made with chemical fertilizers and weren't uh, uh, exposed to pesticides at the very basic level and, and if they're like heirloom seeds they're not GMO seeds at the very basic level they taste better so okay, that yeah. so I think that's something uh, people can understand if you take if you take organic corn and hang it out in the woods next to some GMO corn that's been raised you know tradition not tra- you know uh, you know with mar- modern practices with chemicals and everything the squirrels will go to town on the organic corn and they won't touch the uh, the GMO stuff and I think if all things you know remain the same you know price and uh, accessibility. accessibility and and quantity. I think people would choose the organic uh, products. Now, what I like about uh, the sustainable spirits is that it's all about per- people's perception 
and acceptance of this. It cannot be looked at as a political uh, take on food. There is no politics with food and the environment. There's only uh, good practices and bad practices. Now, I believe everyone has the right to, you know, do whatever they want on their land, but hopefully, yeah, maybe that's not true, but hopefully everyone uh, understands that, you know, taking care of the, the earth in a responsible way and producing food that is nutritious and tastes good is something we all want. Um, and I find here in Tennessee, uh, there's a lot of work to be done as far as people's perception about sustainability on organics. And if people just had a longer memory, which they don't, because everyone's dead from that time, but we all used to be organic farmers in this country. Everyone uh, practiced organic uh, practices and there, we didn't have a choice. Um, there were no uh, chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides. But now that those things are available and, and inexpensive and they've been done for a hundred years, that's all people know. And, and maybe it's created uh, the population we see on the planet, but um, we just are going to have to work harder and learn again how to uh, make food and do things in, in a better way. Yeah, and, and I think it's really cool that um, when you were explaining about the history of, of Short Mountain, how, you know, you came and you were interested in, in farming and and land ownership and then sort of the whole um, um, distilling came later. And so I see that, I think that that's really not the norm. Um, whenever, most of the time people come in and... and they, they're trying to distill and yeah. then they have to figure out the sustainability and, and then the, the proper way to do things. But I, I, that's why I think that, that uh, Short Mountain is so cool is because you came in from the other side. You know, you, you, were, you were thinking about sustainability already. You, you, you it was more inherent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It became natural. It wasn't, it wasn't a learning situation you already had that knowledge and then the distilling came later so that's what i think is really really cool about this place well hopefully in the future what will happen is that people will just get excited uh more excited about growing things organically because tennessee i think you know i'm not even able to buy all of my grains Mm -hmm. for my organic products in tennessee i have to go to kentucky and, uh, and that's, that just shouldn't be the case. Now, if that, basically what that tells me is that there's not an incentive for people to grow organic grains here in Tennessee now, or, or there's not that connection between the people buying and the people growing. But I think uh, spirits are a great way to get uh, local agriculture to start growing things organically because here we are, we're uh, taking these grains and we're turning them into a premium product. So um, we can uh, you know, sell a, a bottle of whiskey for a lot more than let's say cornbread or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we're prepared to pay extra for these organic products um, like malts and grains. And um, if there was more uh, demand, if let's say, uh, so we're coming out with this new Tennessee whiskey. Well, oh, that called... was our next question. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is a great transition yeah. because you okay. know, I think you mentioning, you know, the organic uh, farming industry within Tennessee. Are you hoping that maybe this new product you, we can expand out to Tennessee, or, or what? What? What inspired what, you to create this? Well, this is what I'm thinking. So. We're coming out with this new Tennessee whiskey called Green Thumb, and that will be hitting uh, the, well, it's only hitting one store in Tennessee uh, on April 4th, and that's Cork Dorks. Um, in Nashville? In Nashville, yeah, yeah in Midtown and Green Hills. All right. And uh, um, they, they bought a, a barrel, you know, a whole barrel. So Yeah, you said they came down, they came down to Short Mountain and they hand-selected the barrel they wanted? 
Oh yeah, they they were here all day tasting and sniffing. It was pretty uh, pretty interesting. Um, they they took their time and they they really wanted the product to be a good um, example of a Tennessee whiskey, but also um, show off some of its superior qualities because of its ingredients. So, but but what I'm getting at is that if this is successful, because I don't know if it's going to be successful, we could come out with green thumb and people could be like, again, you know, like oh that's organic, mm, that's you know that's a uh, a Yankee liquor then, <laughs> or something yeah, like yeah, you know, and so uh, I just don't know, and uh, and that's my fear. So so what I'm saying is, um, if it's successful, then other Tennessee distilleries will be like, well, look at Short Mountain. They came out with an organic product and it sold out, and then uh, they can't make enough of it, and then maybe Jack Daniels and you know, Dickel, maybe they'll come out with an organic line. And if they start doing that, then the agricultural it, it, uh, industry will change. So so basically, it's it's a possibility that this might change behavior completely. That's what I'm saying. So, so I always thought that a distillery, um, you know, we had a CSA here, and it was just, uh, it's difficult getting... Um, people's behavior to change around a CSA under, you know, why would, what why, is a CSA? Sorry, just a for community supported agriculture program. Right. So CSA community supported agriculture, where basically uh, people in your area buy produce directly from your farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if they look at that as being inconvenient or uh, not a good value, um, they're just not, they're not going to do it, and then you're not going to get young people um, interested in growing anything because it's too much work and not, not there's no money in it. So, you know, we're just kind of left putting a lot of energy into something that's really not going to go anywhere, and, you, and you're going to feel defeated, you know, which is sort of how I did with the C- CSA. But um, I saw the distillery as a way of sort of utilizing the farm again but uh, instead making something that was pretty cool and more people would get behind. And, you know, when I was coming out with, let's say, uh, some spicy green uh, chard or something, you know, mustard or whatever it was at the, at the CSA, nobody cared. <laughs> you, know? <Yeah. laughs> you know, people just don't care how nice your vegetables are. You know, they, they might mention it you know, but no one's going to really uh, do a podcast about vegetables. Yeah. But you come out with a bottle of whiskey, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden everyone's interested and taking pictures and they're talking about it and put, putting it in the paper. And that's sort of how I see the, the door for uh, organic acceptance and, and that sort of thing to be open, you know, or how whiskey can open those doors in ways other products just can't. Oh, definitely. So, so just, just to tie it in, you know, you have uh, certified organic products, and some people are just not going to support that. But here we have, um, and just to, you know, drive it home um, with Green Thumb, people that don't want government interference, also want there to be lots of open space, you know, for natural spaces and parks and that kind of thing for hunting and, um, you know, who doesn't want open space? So what we've done with the first barrel is we're giving a, a, a good donation, um, the distributor, the retailer, and ourselves are giving a good donation to this uh, nonprofit called 10 Green Land Conservancy. And what they do is they find tracts of land and they package it and put them into easements for them to be saved, you know, for long periods yeah, yeah. of time or forever, yeah, however so it, it works. can be used for, you know... Generations. Yes, generations. Exactly. Right. And That's- so we're giving a donation to them. And I sort of felt like this was like, okay, well, you don't like organic, but mm-hmm. what do you... 
How do you feel about conserving land? Because they're really one of the same. Mm -hmm. You know, organic farming is conserving the land. It's like you're almost giving back to the land twice with this. Twice, and in both sides of the coin. So, you know, it's uh, that's all that we're doing. You know, we're we're trying to uh, protect the environment, protect our state so we can enjoy it for a long period of time. Absolutely. And and at at the most base level, that's what we're doing. You know, just to hit the nail on the head, it tastes better. So that, that's, <laughs> I love that next transition because, you know, this is a Sustainable Spirits episode. I'd love to hear you hear about the whiskey. Like, what, what is the flavor profile? What are we looking for in this in this particular whiskey that you wanted to pronounce or yeah. you wanted to come through with this particular product? Well, I mean, I can go get some uh, and we can try it if you want but uh maybe when we're off the clock (laughs) (laughs) but uh really like uh i think a tennessee whiskey is supposed to be smooth yeah and i mean there's like songs about it smooth like tennessee whiskey so people and we can blame jack daniels and dickel for that you know that's just sort of uh, they've been keeping the the, the Lynchburg uh, method alive all this time, and and Tennessee whiskey is charcoal filtered. It removes impurities, and it makes a smooth product. So we chose a barrel that uh, was not one of the first charcoal uh, filtered barrels that we produce because those are smokier. Yeah. And we're going to let those age a little longer. Um, but it's sort of right in there. And uh, it's a very smooth, delicious, subtle whiskey that you can leave in your mouth for minutes <laughs> and just experience. Yeah. It's so complex. And the grains are have such complexity and, and don't have little surprises as far as like um residual chemical aftertaste or something that yeah. you may not even be conscious of so it's almost I think, like this whiskey is, is it's going back to the traditional roots of a tennessee whiskey sure i mean an organic tennessee whiskey probably hasn't been produced like you know and and when i say organic i just mean like without um chemical inputs since uh before prohibition wow you know so uh since before jack daniels so it's almost going back to the the, the traditional moonshiner roots well the moonshiners were only in made uh, during prohibition we didn't need before that yeah before before prohibition um distilling was different in this country because it was looked at as a agricultural way of taking large amounts of grains and fruit that would otherwise rot or be eaten by pests yeah. and turn it into something that you know you could package yeah. and last yeah. and then you get the byproduct that you could feed to animals and i think uh it's so interesting how whiskey from the early start out here in tennessee was more a way to cyclical organic agriculture yeah like a way commodity. to preserve what you didn't use yeah correct yeah and i think uh it was you, part of just the agriculture industry you know, right hand in hand you, ha- you had to have yeah. stills so this county just canning county i and i'm sure every county in the state before prohibition had this one had 18 registered stills wow that's like crazy yeah that's yeah. like it's like a gas station you know yeah today yeah you know, so they were everywhere that. you had yes. to have them and uh, the state probably had hundreds, if not thousands, of stills wow. that, that, that the government found very difficult to tax. It was very, very difficult for them to tax. Well, I have ne- you know, until right now, I've never thought of distilling as, you know, just like a way of life for farmers. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, and it, it makes so much sense now yeah. that, that you've sort of laid it out there, but... Like if you have a bunch of grain and it's 1910 and you can either uh, sell it or or 
you know, feed it directly to your animals or turn it into whiskey and then not worry about it and still feed it to the animals. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to do the twofer. Definitely. So, you know, that's just what happened. And let's admit it, Tennessee is not the best place to grow pretty fruit. Mm-hmm. You can't, no one, you know, th- there's other places that grow much better fruit than here. And, but we, 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 we grow fruit. Yeah. It's just kind of small and mealy and we have lots of bugs. But you can turn all that into alcohol. And the funny thing, not funny thing, but the great thing about Short Mountain is that the grain, the spent grain, goes directly to your own produce. I mean, it goes to feed oh, your yeah. own livestock. Yeah, we have cows, yeah. cows and pigs now oh, that's that, awesome. that eat the mash. We have it, some chickens, too. Somewhere. It's almost full circle here at Short Mountain, more or less. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's true. Um, we, we don't grow our grains yes. right now. But uh, that that's something that we have done in the past. Mm-hmm. But you know, we have to grow barley, wheat, yeah. rye, um, all sorts of you know d- different grains in order to make a bottle of whiskey or bourbon, and it's just not not possible. Well, I'm sure, like back, like you said, you know, pre-prohibition days, it wasn't just one person doing everything. It was a community effort. Sure. Growing the produce, making the whiskey, feeding the livestock—it it was more of, you know, we said you said there was over eighteen distilleries in one little city or county. Right. You know, that's more or less like having your local co-op nowadays, where farmers need to get what they need, and it, it, it's staying within the community. Yeah, I think f- farming back then was more uh, so much more diversified. If farmers had to learn, you know thousands of different skills in order to be successful they had to know how to raise crops know how to uh, raise animals know uh, how to preserve things you know sell things fix uh, machinery and they had to be in physical condition to do it and today people are much more specialized and reliant upon other uh, things like uh, implements and and chemicals to help them mm-hmm. and I think um, having the government recognize uh, the value of sustainability um, and organic products and 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 they are really but uh, you know really creating incentives and models for that are are what it takes to get us back to it's not ever going to go back to like mules and that kind of thing where we're plowing and stuff but why not create new models that are based on technology and uh, and new new ways of looking at what a farm is and getting the population behind it and wanting these products because if if we can do that if we can get the people demanding or 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 just buying up everything that's organic and sustainable because they they see the value in it spending a little more money and buying some organic products then uh they're gonna start selling them oh absolutely and i think um with your product you know you're gonna have that label showing that it's organic you know and it's promoting what's going on with this product and uh, a quick little shameless uh Plug. Yeah, plug. Uh, the Sustainable Spirits logo is going to be on one of the labels as well, and it's awesome. oh yeah, on our on our hang tag, bottle, we're going to yeah, put the, the uh, Sustainable Spirits uh, logo because I, I think it's important, yeah. and uh, I want I want other distilleries to get the Sustainable Spirits certification, and I want other distilleries to make organic products, and yeah. and I want the people listening to this podcast who drink liquor, I want them to buy these products. Because yeah. that's how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how you change. That's how we change. Yeah. That is by putting your money in your beliefs right. and purchasing the things that are right. that, that you believe in. Well, um, I wanted to just say that I'm super excited. Uh, you said Absolutely. April 4th is whenever it's At coming? Cork Dorks. April, okay. I'll be there probably around uh, 1 to three or something like that maybe a little somewhere around that time on april 4th um giving people tastes of awesome. uh, green thumb and then uh 
um, you can pick up a bottle there. Hopefully, we'll sell out and we'll bottle up another barrel. Yeah, go go out there, go see Billy, go go check out this new organic product, and check out you know I'm biased towards the Sustainable Spirits logo, but you can see that really good looking logo on it as well. It's on seed paper, and that was <laughs> oh, your awesome. Ah, right yeah. on. Yeah, and I'll I'll definitely be there on April fourth if my schedule is is uh, is clear. But yeah, maybe maybe some of our listeners can finally meet. Yeah, but what if what if we just that actually would be a good idea? Come out on April fourth, and you'll be able to meet Billy, talk talk about organic whiskey, and then maybe meet me and and talk about sustainability podcasters. What uh, if we do a little podcast or something? Yeah, we can do something. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'd love it. Awesome. Well, Billy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed it, and and thank you so much for using your platform to to sort of change behavior because, like you said. Everyone likes to drink. Most people do. And so this is a a great opportunity to bring attention to sustainability. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, pod listeners. So you guys know what time it is. A lot of people's favorite part of the pod is our ranger reports. So this month we are highlighting another state historic park to give a little deep dive into some of our state's rich history. So without further ado, I give to you... The Ranger Report, brought to you by the Tennessee State Parks. Fun and adventure, naturally. All right, this month for our Ranger Report, we are going to be reporting on Johnsonville State Park. Uh, With us today, we have Ranger Noah Sins. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing just perfect. It's a a rainy day, um, so it's not very exciting, but... um, (laughs) Yeah. And and did I say that wrong? Is is it is this your state park actually called New Johnsonville? No, it's actually you had it right the first time. It's Johnsonville State Historic Park. We're just located in New Johnsonville. Oh, okay. There's the confusion. <laughs> um, well, we're very very excited to have you on here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your your schedule and and calling us to inform us on Johnsonville State Historic Park. So this is our second um, historic state historic park. So um, I always really like to do these because I get to learn a little bit more about, you know, the state and and, and the historic um, information that comes with uh, these state parks. So, and this is actually one of the state parks that I haven't been to, so I'm very excited to hear a little bit more about it. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, what I'll do is I'll, uh, what I like to do after I have the rangers on the ranger report is, is email them when I'm going to be in the area and, and drop by and, and get a a little tour, a little behind-the-scenes the, the tour. I couldn't think of it. <laughs> um, well, so like I said, we're with uh, we're here with Noah Sins. Um, he is a park ranger. And, and if you want to, you can just sort of give us a little rundown of your, your experience with the state park system, how you, how you decided you wanted to be a park ranger, and just uh, basically your story. All right, sounds good. Well, in 2016, when I was, I was still in college, I saw the opportunity to do the seasonal uh, SIR position that the state of Tennessee offers. And that came across our, our uh, posting at Bethel University. And I, I read it, went through it, started putting two and two together while I was studying biology. And was like, this is a career path that could work out for me. So I took that seasonal uh, internship for the summer of 2016 at Fort Pillow State Historic Park, another one out there on the uh, Mississippi River. and. Uh, I had a great time out there. It was an experience that I enjoyed more than any of my other summer jobs. I started putting what I was learning in school with what my experiences were there at Fort Pillow and then decided that I was going to go all in for the state of Tennessee to be a park ranger with this system. And here I am. Uh, 2017, I got hired on at Johnsonville State Historic Park, and I've been here for just over two and a half years. And I'm enjoying it every single day awesome well we appreciate your um your duties as a as a park ranger and and what you do for the state so um thanks for that so um i guess what we i guess what i should start out with for these ranger reports is where exactly is johnsonville um state historic park located so somebody that's never seen it never heard of it and looking at a map of tennessee could you explain that for us yeah i can so from nashville which is the center point for everybody to base off of. We're um, about an hour and a half west if you're driving, about 75 75 miles to 80 miles, depending on the route you take west of Nashville, um, just off of Highway 70. And so you drive Nashville west all the way through Dixon, 
through Waverly, Tennessee, about eight miles more, you will hit the Tennessee River, and we're right on the Tennessee River, now Kentucky Lake. And another fun fact about our park is that just across the lake, you can see it, our park, from Nathan Bedford Forest State Park, and we can see Nathan Bedford Forest State Park. So if you had a boat, it would be a very quick trip over there. Yeah, I was actually traveling to Memphis the other day, and I, I actually I passed the sign for y'all's park and several others, but I was on a small time crunch. Uh, one day, yeah. though, I'm going to, I'm going to actually stop at these parks that I go by. So. Yeah. Um, well, that's another thing, though, is, is when you're driving I-40, exit 143 is or Loretta Lynn's exit. It's all you know, Loretta Lynn's mm-hmm. ranch and everything. So we're just north of that. Okay. That's another little point if you to reference. Awesome. So when did Johnsonville State Historic Park become an actual state park in our system? Okay, uh, the state of Tennessee got the property and made it a, a park in 1971. So it was, uh, in 1971 is when it became the park, but there was a period of, I guess, just under 40 years where not much was happening down here because the uh, Kentucky Lake, the Tennessee River, was dammed at Kentucky Dam in 1944 uh, is when they, they started to backfill the reservoir and so the, the area of Johnsonville State Historic Park went underwater at that time and just sat in nothing really other than the local community was in and out of the property for right there around 40 years or so. You said so it was underwater before it was a park is that what you said? Yeah kind of so oh, well part of it right <laughs> so we um, we have here in Johnsonville, we have 1,750 acreage, 1,750 acres of, of land today that is state park. But the park itself was originally a federal supply depot during the Civil War, and that the, the piece of land that held the transfer buildings and different operations of the supply depot, those areas are now underwater due to the filling of the lake out of the river channel. That makes sense. Awesome. So what, um, you know, it's Johnsonville is, or New Johnsonville, where you guys are located. Um, Mm -hmm. The the park in its name, we talked about a little bit earlier, it's a state historic park. So what what cool activities or or what is there to see there that, that, um, you know, and, and what kind of history can you tell us about the park, you know, or like that, that is incorporated. Yeah. Inco- in yeah, activity, yeah. 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 Activities. Yeah. For sure. I'll go into depth about that a little bit. Um, like we were saying with it being a federal supply depot during the civil war, uh, they were transferring supplies from the North by river, uh, and putting them onto rail line here where our park is today. And then they were going East to Nashville by rail line and splitting depending on where the needs were for the, you know, what supplies were en route to supply the rest of the federal army down in the south, even down into um, toward Chattanooga and then down to Atlanta as well. So it was a very busy area, and then the battle took place in 1864 and with Nathan Bedford Forrest fought across the banks of the Tennessee River. Nathan Bedford Forest and, and the Confederate forces were on the western bank of the Tennessee River where the supply depot was located on the eastern. And the exchange took place across the, the river channel. And Nathan Bedford Forest was successful in that attack on Johnsonville. And they won that battle. And millions of dollars went up in flames uh, during the battle. Wow. And it left not much left. It didn't leave much remaining at the, the, the supply depot. So a, a majority of the forces were then sent to Nashville to help defend Nashville later on in 1864. So wow. that happened, and there was a rail line that stopped at the Tennessee River. So the people in the surrounding community took advantage of that. They eventually built a bridge that went across the Tennessee River Channel, and there was a town, which we also tell the story of here, not just the Civil War history, but the town era of Johnsonville, which existed from the mid-1860s all the way until 1944 when they flooded the Tennessee River. 
Hmm. And that's where that confusion comes in because it was the town of Johnsonville where all of that, that history took place with the community. Then the river gets flooded. The community has to leave. They settle just south of the, where Johnsonville was located in what is now New Johnsonville. Ah, ah. There we go. Light bulb went off <laughs> in my head right there. Hence the yeah. name. Okay. So that's that's. But, thanks for clearing that up for me because before when I was looking, I was like, New Johnsonville? Where's old Johnsonville? Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Well, old Johnsonville is the state park now. Awesome. Yep. So I'll tell you a little bit more about like, what we offer throughout the year, though. Several programs. Um, but our biggest one of the year is usually the first weekend of November. So November 7th of this year, 2020, we'll ha- we will have Civil War Days. Our Civil War Days event highlights uh, living history of the late 1800s with many different things, with artillery and infantry um, firing demonstrations. So seeing black powder muskets being fired, actual cannons, those large guns being fired on a different you know time slots where you can go and view that, as well as um, period laundresses doing laundry and how they would have done it in 1860s. Wow. Making, us, making us feel thankful for <laughs> washing machines, right? Yeah, it's the um, it, the nice tumble dryers that we have now didn't exist then. So they're, they're out there beating, beating clothes with um, wood, you know, um, spoons and things like that, spinning it in tubs and then air drying it, washboards, all of that fun stuff. Wow, so do you... Um do you get to dress up in like Civil War uh, attire, attire, and 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 act out, or or are are you just in your Ranger clothes and somebody else? Doesn't? No, there's um we all dress in period clothing here throughout the year at different events, um, school events. Uh, during that one, we usually have people come in to help us, and we're working more of security during Civil War days. But the in, in the rest of the year we have different events that we put on where we are yes um, getting into period dress and helping do the you know artillery firing demonstration or we're doing musket firing demonstration things like that as well as just you know educating the public on what they were wearing or what they were doing while wearing those clothes so oh. yeah we definitely get into period dress throughout the year Awesome. Hopefully we can find a picture of you in, in some of the period dress or, or shooting a musket or something like that, and we'll use that for our... Because usually what I like to do, um, each Ranger Report, I like to get who we're interviewing and get a picture of them and put it posted on our Instagram page so people can see who they're who they're listening to and then also get a, a picture of the state park sign so that to keep it sort of... Um, uniform? Yeah, uniform. Make that happen. Yeah, so that's awesome. I'm excited to, to see. Um, well, awesome. Um, is... I guess we sort of co- you cover basically everything. Oh, I wanted to talk about um, any sustainability stuff that you ha- guys had going on. I know um, we had talked earlier about a small little project that you guys either are just starting or just finishing um, about tires. Could you sort of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, we actively do a lot of cleanup on the river and lake, well, Kentucky Lake and Tennessee River. Um, with floods that come in and leave debris all along the shorelines of our park. So we do a lot of work in trying to keep that as clean as possible. In that process, we've come across many tires, which then we are able to cut into smaller pieces, haul into um, Montgomery County near Clarksville to buy county program, recycling program, and we deliver those there they then shred them, and I believe they sell them to a company down in Alabama, and I'm not sure exactly what happens to them after that point, but it is a neat thing that we're able to do to find something in a place in Tennessee that is actively trying to recycle tires. So that, that's one little piece, but plenty of recycling that we do. Through the, the Go Green uh, program with Tennessee State Parks and, and you guys, uh, we have received gold certification last year, and for our efforts in 2019, we're trying to at least get gold, if not platinum. And so we're 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 trying to strive for that platinum ring, uh, you know, I guess certification through that program, and hopefully we'll get it soon. Awesome. 
Um, but real quick, if I can tell you a couple more things oh, about yeah. the park and yeah. one more event. Um, so there's another piece to our management here at Johnsonville State Historic Park, which is the uh, Link Farm archaeological site. And so it's the site of the Duck River Cache. Duck River Cache was found in the late 1800s on this site where there are Indian mounds. And it is on display at University of Tennessee, as well as a small statue that is in um, New York on this, at a museum, one of the museums there, and which is a series of different swords and things like that that were found in this cache there on the property from, I guess, Mississippian period Native Americans. And uh, so the mounds are very, very prominent, very cool features. So next month, actually, Saturday, March 7th, and then the next weekend, March 14th, we will be having um, guided tours with Bill Lawrence, the archaeologist with Tennessee Division of Archaeology, and he'll be doing guided tours. So we'll do on the 7th, uh, we'll have a morning tour at 9 a.m., as well as a evening, uh, an afternoon tour at 1, as well as on the 14th. And those are $20 a person. But we go out to that, that property and are able to get a look that you're not always able to see because it's not a, an open-to-the-public site. It's, usually, it's always locked off to and kept and maintaining that resource throughout the year. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, um, this, this episode should be going out this week, so that, um, that'll be, we'll be able to... That'll be timely. Yeah, yeah. we'll be able to, to tell people about that and hopefully get some more... Um, yeah. people coming yeah. out there for that because that, that kind of stuff is excites me uh, we were one of the highlights we did was with Dunbar Cave State Park and they were talking about how they're one of the only places that you can go into a cave and see the, the Mississippian era uh, like cave drawings and stuff like that and yeah. so that, that kind of stuff is really cool to me yeah, they definitely have a unique site there as well and I think that's another thing that I'd like to bring light on is uh, that it, with all Tennessee state parks, there are so many things that are on the property that can be um, interpreted to the public. So since we are a state historic park and the majority of our story is the Civil War and the town era after, we are also able to offer you know great areas for bird watching, hiking, and we do canoe programs through the summer, and we have you know boating with it's a very neat thing that you can use the park for that's not just the history. And I think that that gets overlooked at some of these state historic parks. Whereas, I mean, we have um, accumulatively right now, we're sitting at uh, 3.75 mile, miles of trails on our property, and we're looking to add more to that in the coming years. So it's a great place to get outside and do more than just the history while you're here, and we'd like, like people to know that. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of time when people see – you know, state historic park, like, oh, well, you know, there's some people that, which, that which is interesting, well, like me. Well, there's some people that, like, like myself, that that interests me and that makes me want to go there. But I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people, like my little brother, that <laughs> he just wants to get out and see waterfalls or, or, you know, just go hike. But I mean, there's a, or canoe or that kind of stuff. So I think that maybe there's this idea that a state historic park is just you're going to be learning you know and so i think we need to sort of break that down so i'm glad you said that yeah and then it works the, op- the complete opposite way for parks that are usually uh, seen as just hiking parks and there's a ton of history in every single one of the parks mm-hmm. and, and so when you, once you're there you get outside experience some of it and then you stop in at like our museum and visitor center or you know their visitor center talk to a ranger and learn a little bit of what the history is of the site couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, and see, I'm not a hiker. Um, no one wants to see me try to hike. And so, yes, I thrive on, oh, there's an inside museum. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. We have the perfect spot for you, Ashley. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, can you think of anything else that you uh, wanted to highlight? No, other than just uh, to reference going to our Facebook page, um, the State Parks website and finding Johnsonville looking for our upcoming events and postings for different programs throughout the year as well as our Instagram page that's something that I like for more people to get on 
is our, our we have Johnsonville State Historic Park on Instagram, so that's another avenue to look for us on. That's it. That's an exciting uh, fact because we have an Instagram page for the podcast, and a lot of times when we do these ranger reports, I'd like to tag, but a lot of our state parks don't have Instagram pages. So that's really good, especially a visual aspect. Yeah. I mean, so what I'll do is I'll um. Um, I'll, what I'll do is I'll make sure that I link the website, the Facebook page, um, and of course the Instagram page so that people listening can, uh, can get there. That'd be terrific. All right. Well, Noah, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. We will talk to you soon and I'll come visit you. Uh, if not before, then definitely in November. All right. All right. I appreciate it, Caleb and Ashley. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Have a good one.